Are you going to sing for us, Jason? <clears throat> I have a James Taylor song lined up. Uh, but instead, I'm going to talk about uh, this, the 120th episode of The Carmen Show. My name is Jason Kamisa. That is Derek Tam hyphen Scott. Uh, <laughs> is that Yiddish? I don't know. It's just, it's just festive. And um, we are today talking about shocker. Vintage Mercedes Benz. Yeah. yeah. But this is your fault. Derek came up with it. It is idea. my fault. Yeah. Yes. It's a specific vintage Mercedes Benz. It is the 190E. Otherwise known as the W201. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we didn't talk about the little hatchback conversions that people made. Oh, well, we'll have to go back and record the whole episode. Just Eberhard Schulz is um, famous for having done those. He's the guy who made all the Isderas. Sorry, the episode has not started yet. Uh, do you... Uh, yes, we need to talk about the Haggerty Drivers Club. Haggerty Drivers Club, if yes. you'd like to help support this content, you should consider joining the Haggerty Drivers Club, which includes unlimited flatbed roadside is 24 hours hold on unlimited 24 7 flatbed towing for all of your classic cars magazine uh subscription access to unlimited valuation tools and a bunch of other crap link below um and i think that's my job oh yeah if you call out my name wait he's gonna have he's gonna have a terrible wherever i am I'll come run. Did that? Do you it's going to be really hard to uh, coordinate the video, the, the audio, and the, the video audio. because it's just a lot of clapping. Uh, whatever. You'll figure it out. It's Good luck, me. Jake. Good luck, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This one's on you. What? Yeah. Which one's on me? The, the George Foreman thing. Oh, George Foreman. Yeah. Manufacturer of grills, but not giant clams. Something, something, his, remember we said last week his car collection's about to hit Haggerty Marketplace? Is it hit? It, Did it, it hit? It done, has done hit Hopefully it. the marketplace is okay if it just got hit by a bunch of cars. Well, yeah, but they're lean because of the George Foreman grill thing and they pack, pack oh. a big punch or something. Yeah, but, I don't know how but also how can they be lean if some of them are like 57 Chevy Bel Airs? That's not a very lean car. Yeah, nobody puts a lean on those cars anymore. You can't get financing oh for that. Oh my God. Yeah. Terrible puns. BMW Z8, Ferrari Testarossa. There's uh, a 129 in there. 129. Some, some cool cars. Hmm. So go check them out. Interesting. 57 Maybe Bel Air? even buy one. You want one? Do you want a Oh, there was a Fuley. Actually, this is of particular interest. A split window Corvette Coupe. Mm. Uh, and it's a Fuley, which is the top of the line model. That's the one to get. Those mm. things have gotten ridiculously expensive. How expensive? You'll find out. <laughs> you <laughs> might you even the, answer the question for yourself, yourself if you're yeah. the one who buys it. Yeah. Okay. Go check that out. And right. also make lean meat in your George Foreman grill. That's what I try to do every day. <laughs> and on that bombshell, we'll return to uh, this episode of the Carmudgeon Show. How do you, how do you turn this off? Okay, let's. We are recording, so let's. We need to talk about more about that. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, would you like to explain to the audience just how you've come up with this surprise episode idea for me? Because I'm not taking the full uh, because I read a book about this car and we had a Sacco party yesterday mm -hmm. for his 90th birthday, Bruno Sacco. Shockingly, this episode is about vintage Mercedes Benzes. Um, I, listen, I apologize on behalf of Derek. And yourself. I know, this is your fault. I walked in, we're like, what are we going to do with the episode on today? And you're like, I just read <laughs> two books by James Taylor and I started singing. Um, Which we are not going to include in this episode. <clears throat> I was in the intro, a, you could. 
No. When you get to the I don't think anyone intro. wants to hear my James okay. Taylor. But James Taylor's wonderful to sing along with because he's smooth and he's right in my vocal range. He's very easy. Anyway, uh, you read a book, two books about the Mercedes W201. Mm-hmm. You've it, read one of those books. Both of them. Both of those books. Mm-hmm. Okay. But this is not fair. You have an unfair advantage because you just read Quicksilver Benz. Quicksilver Century. Quick Century. It's essentially the Bouncing Baby Benz is the name of the chapter. Yes. And I haven't read it in 10 years. Mm-hmm. But I still remember that chapter title. And then you just read the James Taylor book and I haven't. So not only are you more photographic memory like than I am, uh, but you just have this top of mind. So I'm going to spout out years as like gross estimates. <laughs> I will uh, fact check as required. And uh, let's see. You also have owned a lot more of these cars than I have. Okay. So the, yes, the... I've owned, uh, I flipped a couple of them when I was in college to make some money, but I did my first ever true Mercedes daily driver ownership experience was a 1988 190E 2.0. It was a Euro car that my uh, friend Mike, who we still have to do an episode on, um, once the statute, well, I guess once you die, I think the statute of limitations automatically expires with you. Um, yes. <clears throat> so anyway. every every character in this story, whoever does anything, will be Mike. Yeah, Even exactly. if it was you, it's actually it's a good Mike. Point. Yeah, it was a good point. Yeah. So I was uh, driving down the road Mike with my friend Mike, and Mike. He, uh, um, so Mike saw this 190e, a Euro 190e, on the side of the road, um, in parked in Miami, and left a note on it. And then like eight months later, uh, this German woman called him and she's like, yeah, I must export the car and I don't know what to do. And he was like, I'll give you 2000 bucks for it right now. And so because she brought it in on a tourist visa, it was able to be here for a year and then needed to be sold. He well, pulled, it needed to be exported, exported. not <clears throat> sold, yeah. exported. Exported or crushed. And so she didn't know what to do with it. This was in 1997, probably. So the car was well under 25 years old oh, at yeah. this time. Um, and so he pulled a move and bought it from her, pulled a move and got it registered. And what in was- In Florida. In Florida. And what was- They're notoriously flexible. Yeah. Thank God. What was uh, different about this car was it was two liter, eight valve automatic. Um, it was they were all two liters, actually. They were never any 1.9 liters, even though they That's were badged right. as 190E, but they did put 2.0 on the back of them because people were confused right. when the 1.8 liter car came out. Right. And they were like, why would I get a 1.8 versus a 1.9? And it's actually two liters. This was when Mercedes was still figuring out the nomenclature. Like, Correct. There was a 300E 2.6. Yes. Like, and there was a 260E also. Right. I mean, what the hell? Yeah. Anyway, so uh, it was unusual in the car. So the, the, it was a Euro car. It had air conditioning, uh, but manual dual zone climate, uh, not climate control, the heat. Um, and the full Recaro seats from the 2.316 in it, just mm. in a different plaid than the, like plaid seats, but different cloth than the 2.316. Yes, full cloth instead of leather with cloth inserts. Was it? They're like 124s. I assume if they're like 124s. Oh my God, this, I sold this car in 2001. I mean, I haven't, I'll, I'll dig up the pictures, but either way, it was a different. If I, they were like 500Es, then the, the, the sport seats would have cloth, full cloth with plaid inserts in the middle and just instead of having leather on the bolsters. I feel like these were leather, but I, then I'll it's like a 2.316. It's the same seat, but it was a, it was a tighter woven, more dark gray. Huh. It was a, like a much t- a smaller weave and it was great. Anyway, but well, rear buckets. In yes, this car, yes. which was really neat. Um, and the two liter, the Euro. It was an 80 liter, what year? 88. So, so if it I, wasn't a sport line. 
it was not a sport line but it had sport seats <clears throat> it was just well in germany you don't have these packages a uh, sport line I mean, was, was a thing. package but you can also just a la carte, a la carte anything things. Yeah. so sunroof air conditioning power windows in the front and crank windows in the back yeah. which is the dumbest fucking thing it's kind of common made. back then very common doesn't um, your car have that no mine crank all around oh my current car but we'll stick on this one because too many Two three sixteens, uh, too many two hundred ones. So anyway, this I put forty thousand miles on this as a daily driver. It was a hundred and I think it was one hundred and twenty two horsepower versus the U.S.'s one thirty four or one thirty two for the two point three liter. Yeah, I think it's one twenty three PS. Yeah, um, and it uh, it was actually quicker than the U.S. cars. It had shorter gearing and um, it uh, weighed far less because it had and compression, had actual compression and cam timing. Um, So yeah, it was dead down low, but it was a screamer. I I mean, it passed emissions every year. Must have must have been catalyzed. Um, Great car, absolutely wonderful daily driver. Had a lot of fun in it, including had a guy in a Mitsubishi Eclipse crash trying to keep up with me around an on-ramp um and i just I'll, like it always surprised everyone on back roads those things yeah. are really capable yeah. um i decided to replace it with an e36 325i automatic i always wanted one automatic in the fleet in case i like pulled my back or something and which i did all the time because i was always working on cars and working on the house and uh i so the day i bought the e36 home I listed it for sale on the Auto Trader. I hated it. Like it was just so not even close oh, really? to as good of a car as the 190. I like the way that 190's chassis balance was better. I got in so many fights with people online because I'm like the Mercedes doesn't understeer. Like it's just neutral. And this one had an ASD, which mm-hmm. was a locking, electronically locking rear differential. Yes. So you're fine, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. Coming around the corner, fade, like fading the, the gas in. And when the light went on, you had approximately a quarter of a second to start getting ready to correct because it would lock the rear wheels together and send it sideways and do these great drifts. Um, anyway, uh, wonderful car, amazing. Um, sold it. God, it had to be 2000, 2001. Haven't seen it mm. since. Um, my next 190 I bought on my 30th birthday sight unseen at a auction a police auction in pittsburgh good i love stories that start like Uh that i was in florida was gonna have my i was at mike's actually and i was gonna have my 30th birthday at his house and uh katrina had just destroyed uh, uh new orleans and so i thought because i'm so fucking twisted that i'm gonna have a hurricane themed 30th birthday party (laughs) but wait 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 here's the deal we were (laughs) Mike had two truckloads of clippings of like uh, garden clippings brought from his client's house to his backyard and had the back turned into like a war zone. So the pool was full of like tree limbs and shit. And it was like, there were down trees and branches all over his yard. And then I had a jazz band, like a New Orleans jazz band and all Creole food and uh, a prop fan, like a hundred mile an hour prop fan uh, by the front door. So when you walked in, you got wind blasted. And the whole thing was, Hurricane themed, but all gifts were were to be in the form of uh, relief for Katrina victims. Okay. Little did I know that I have control over time, space, and the inter- interplanetary shit. And Hurricane Wilma was it what hit literally dead hit on Lake uh, Lake Worth, Florida, at exactly one minute after the party was to have started. Hmm. So there was no party. We all hmm. escaped. Got the fuck. I got the last flight out of Palm Beach Airport um a couple friends of mine from germany got stuck there for five days with no no water and no gas they were siphoning gas out of out of mike's old cars to get 
in their rental car to get the fuck out of there and get to uh, Orlando. So uh, moral of the story, don't ever tempt fate by having a hurricane themed party because you during get hurricane, hurricane season yeah. in an area in that is South known Florida. for hurricanes. Uh-huh. <clears throat> um, but while I was down there, uh, this guy that I knew had found this car at a police auction and knew I was looking for one. It's, it was 38,000 mile 87. So there were two years of the US 2.316. And uh, I said, just buy it, whatever. Long story short, got home, uh, picked it up, and it was had been seized as uh, because it was used. It was a narc seizure, so a narcotic mm. seizure, and then was used by the Pittsburgh police force uh, to pick up prostitutes. I don't know. I know nothing else. Uh, I have a friend that worked at the at the court system, and he that was in the car's records. But other than the fact that the interior was kind of torn apart, be taken apart because they were probably looking for drugs um and there were ketchup packets all over this car and there was ketchup smeared everywhere i don't understand the car was basically perfect um so i put <laughs> aside a couple, from being on fire and having been crashed it no, was perfect it cleaned up i mean everything cleaned up the car was really 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 nice um did a bunch of mechanical shit to it drove it for uh, probably three years and then this one it. was a manual this was a manual probably. and was it uh they came in two colors which colors of the two colors it was, was it? blauschwarz otherwise yeah. known as db199 black pearl black yeah, pearl in black. english yeah um and uh yeah sold it when i moved to california i, I, I moved to michigan with it and sold it and now of course the the current 201 that i have is a euro 1985 2.316 one of the original 5000 so the first bat production batch pre-homologation so this is the actual the car that homologated car. the car for um, competition. Yep. So this one smokes over. This is exactly the spec that I wanted, which was smokes over with plaid interior, rear headrests, manual, crank windows, and no other options. I could have dealt with air conditioning, um, but what I wanted was no push button air conditioning. I wanted yeah. the, the manual yeah, controls. Yeah. Um, it's 2,845 pounds with a full tank of gas, and that's a 16 gallon tank, so it's a lot of gas in there. Um, uh, it is, and it's 185 PS, so uh, much, much, much quicker than the US car. US car revved to 6,500, this one revs to 7,100. Um, and 164 to 185 PS, 164 horsepower. 167, to, uh, 170 oh, PS, 170 PS horse. to 185 PS. It doesn't sound like a big difference, but it's nine day in the course. So um, the gearing also makes a, yes. a significant contribution. I've now had that car, I think 12 years, 11 or 12 years. Um, and um, it's magnificent. So that mm-hmm. is my 190 story. You own. I own the same car, but in Blauschwarz. With air conditioning and with air conditioning button. that was added, it does not have the push button. Mm. It no. has air conditioning that was added and, and rear headrest. I can't remember whether it has rear headrest, honestly. And, I think, but it's, and it's plaid. It right? is plaid, plaid interior. Plaid, yeah. yeah, the the criteria for me was that it had to be Blauschwarz with uh, with the plaid interior. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting the two cars. What year is yours? 85. 85 Mine is also. earlier than yours because That's it doesn't right. have the articulating wiper. Yep. So that was April. No, no. March 1st of 1985 production. Somewhere, I think it was, I'm doing this from memory. Mercedes went from the passenger side lying regular wiper that just did a standard swipe to mm-hmm. the driver side. Am I, is it the wrong way around? No, you have a crash. The driver side articulating wiper that got longer, yes. longer yes. and shorter through its stroke to cover 87%. 80, or, yeah, it was 86%, 86% of the, the windscreen instead of 75%. So they got an additional 11% of windscreen coverage by adding the articulating wiper, which had debuted in the 124. So the early... Really? Yes. That's why they added that to the 190E at that time, because the 124 came out after the 201. Yeah, 
And what year did the one nine uh, two uh, one twenty four go into production? Eighty four. Eighty four. Okay, so it was and the one ninety eight went and debuted in December of eighty two. Okay, so let's go back first. Yes, let us go back and explain why this car exists at all and what it is. Okay, I think this this you know now everyone's just like ah, oh, it's a shitty small C class, uh, and so people don't understand the significance of this car. Uh, Mercedes had toyed for a long time with the idea of making a small smaller car they had two size they made three effective cars effectively they made three cars for a long period of time they made a big sedan the s-class they made a medium-sized sedan which is now known as the e-class and then they had a two-door open car called the sl uh, and then they were you know had this idea of adding a small car a smaller sedan uh, which bmw had sort of done with the three series although the three series had two doors but it was basically a three series competitor uh, and Mercedes in the 50s had actually toyed with making a small car and thought about doing experimenting with front-wheel drive. Uh, and this was all, of course, motivated by their desire to sell cars in the U.S. market. Uh, the U.S. regulations for the 1975 model year were, were corporate average fuel economy standards, CAFE, uh, and that was basically stating that your all the cars that you sold had to meet a certain threshold or fleet average fuel economy. Uh, and if you didn't do that, then you would be fined. And Mercedes was not interested in being fined, so they just put diesel engines in everything as a sort of stopgap stop solution yeah. until they could produce a more f economical car. I don't think most people realize that that was the push behind Mercedes diesels. And I think it was something like 85% of all Mercedes sold in America from 1980, whatever it was. Probably 79. 79 even. through 85 were diesels. Yes. And it, you know, they made this push and it wasn't because they were technologically superior or anything else. This was out of necessity because Mercedes would, would not have otherwise been able to meet the fuel economy fleet requirement. Um, genius move. Yes. Um, but, you know, got, garnered Mercedes a reputation for quality because that OM617 diesel is, lasts forever, legendary. Um, might I also hand, add, an, yeah, might I add on the other also that if you, um, want to understand the the mercedes had this reputation for technical in innovation and the 300 sd the 116 300 sd which came out in 78 uh really did have that because it was the world's first turbocharged passenger diesel car mm -hmm. and uh and it the, was quick it was quick by contemporary standards and mm -hmm. i encourage everybody to go watch the uh w126 motor week 300 sd test because we think of those cars you drive one now and you're like man this thing is just gutless and slow and back then they were like, it's amazing. It's so fast and high performance for a diesel car. And just like those, they were absolutely bowled over by how performant it was, even though nowadays it's not at all. Well, I mean, at that time you had the diesels you had were a 240D, which was, you know, the small car with a E-Class. The E-Class, e yeah. With, uh, with 54 horsepower? 60? 65. Okay. I mean, they're different. So when you come out with 120 horsepower turbocharged mm -hmm five-cylinder, three-liter, that's yeah. a big deal. Yes, it um, was a substantial move forward, even if the zero to 60 time is like in the teens. 13, right? Yeah. 13 to 15 versus yeah. 18 to 25. So, yeah. I mean, yep. Yep. But a so substantial like improvement. V8 Cadillacs at the time were 12, 13, 14 seconds. Yes, yes. That's I mean, that we, we've we talked about this. The 380 SL was 12 and a half seconds to 60 miles an hour. And Alpha Spider was also 12 and a half seconds. To, and a Rolls-Royce Silver Spirit was also 12 and a half mm -hmm. seconds to zero to 60 in the early 80s. So, yeah, yeah to, to get a diesel passenger car that accelerated in under 15 seconds to 60 miles an hour was actually quite noteworthy. It's kind of funny that Mercedes sold both uh, the, the 300 SD, again, the 
world's first turbocharged production uh, diesel passenger car and the 6.9 at the same time <laughs> in the same body style, which was <laughs> the world's fastest sedan-ish. There's some ambiguity there. Um, yes. But anyway, okay. <clears throat> so Mercedes stopgap was to develop a uh, a diesel engine for the U.S. market, turbocharge it. Um, and then the real solution was finally- A new, smaller car, which would be more aerodynamic- And? Uh, and economical. And? And is this the sophistication of the 126 thing? And? No. And uh, a new family of engines. Oh, yes, a new family of engines. So the, the it was called, to demonstrate what a seismic shift they thought the car was, instead of having the numbers of the chassis designation start with a one, it started with a two. So all the other cars were 114 and 115 and 126 and, you know, blah, blah, blah. This was a W201. It was the first ever W2. And I learned in doing this research why they did that, because it was such a seismic shift that they were like we're going to start with the twos and then of course other 100 cars came afterwards like the w140 uh but anyway so w uh 201 and then the new engine that was for that car was the opposite of that 102 m102 M102, yeah w upside down is m yes and 201 becomes 102 uh the interestingly though the product planning people and the sales and marketing people had been pushing for a small car for many many years decades mm -hmm. uh and the mercedes board kept telling them absolutely not it's not in the image of mercedes and this was it was the u.s regulations that made them say okay fine i'm sure also the this. success of bmw with the three series was a contributory causal factor as well i'm not sure it was that much of a factor at this point yet I mean, I guess E21 had started. Because um, BMW had come out with the 5 Series in 72, and then the 7 Series came out in 76 or something like mm -hmm. that. And that's like them getting into Mercedes territory. And so yeah. I, my suspicion is that you say, okay, if they are now making three si sizes of, of cars, the 3, 5, and 7 Series, then we should go, and they're trying to get all up in our business, which in S-Class mm -hmm. land, which is our sort of like territory yeah. decisively as Mercedes-Benz, then fine, we'll go after. This is my hypothesis only. You're probably not wrong. I mean, E21 came out in what, 75, 76? 70, yeah, somewhere um, in there. Somewhere in there. And that's about when this whole project was coming about. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm sure that was a factor. But the, the key point, though, is that the board said, we will give you, now Now there's a business reason why the Mercedes needed to make a small car. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the permission to make a small car was based on a bunch of requirements. And mm -hmm. this is where mercedes diverges from any other car company in the world it's like okay fine we're not going to need to we're going to need to make this car for regulations however it will have the same ride comfort as an s-class it will have the same driving position as an s-class mm -hmm. it will have the same safety as an s-class mm -hmm. and it will win the world rally championship to prove that this is a real engineering feat uh, i mean come on yeah, so all of that is true, perhaps, except for the World Rally Championship part. They did intend, of course, to rally the car, but mm -hmm. pulled the plug on the rally program in December of 1980. Yeah, uh, because of the Audi. Yes, but that exactly. Design, but hold on. The car was already done. The car was designed for you in 79. Um, and there were two B2. There were two rally cars. So yes. Mercedes figured the only... So remember, this is a mandate from the board. This isn't like, hey, we'd like to do this. No, you're only allowed to build the car if... Um, and so to, to win the world rally championship, they thought the best, the best way to make the manufacturer's title happen, which is what they needed to win was to have two cars, right. a short wheelbase, uh, car for hatchback that would, that would work on the really tight and twisty sections. Yes. And then a so long wheelbase events car. like 
Corsica and Monte Carlo and San Remo. Right. So example. the tarmac stuff where you just need to change direction very quickly. Yes. And then a long wheelbase car that would be used on the higher speed stuff where stability is better. And durability. Right. And so they came up with two engines, mm-hmm. the the hatchback short wheelbase car. And there exist plenty of drawings of uh, photos of prototypes on this. They built one prototype of, of the hatchback. The, of the hatchback. Uh, yes. Two. I thought it was. But anyway, I you read the book. This week, I read it 20, 10 years ago. Um, the the hatchback had a 2.1, no, 2.3 liter, 16 valve. Naturally, um, aspirated. naturally aspirated. Done by, head done by Cosworth. They shipped off mm-hmm. the motor to Cosworth because all engineering resources within Mercedes-Benz were and were taken up on this W201. They actually project. did make a 16 valve engine at Mercedes and they couldn't get the power they needed to win in group B. And so they said, okay, let's go to the people who do this. know how to do four valve heads because Mercedes had not built a four valve head since 1939. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so they built one and they were like, it's not going to make enough power to win in rallies. So let's go to the racing experts. You know, Cosworth was founded in the sixties probably. uh, And they had done the DFV, uh, which is a sort of legendary uh, engine that was used for, it was a variant of a Ford engine basically with a four valve head. Uh, so they knew all this stuff about making four valve heads. And so they said, let's go to the experts and see if they can do something with it. And so they, Cosworth developed, designed a cylinder head for this thing. Uh, and then they sent, they some people came over from Germany, they built an engine but never ran it. And then they sent it to Germany and ran it and it made 267 horsepower from 2.3 liters mm-hmm. for a racing car. So that was the engine for the hatchback because they the wanted... The, they wanted something with really response. good throttle response for these sort of tight situations. And then the other engine was a 2.14 liter. There's a lot of people who made 2.14 liter engines during this period because when you add the multiplier to it for forced induction, uh, it turns into three liters. Mm-hmm. And so that's why Porsche did a bunch of 2.14 liter turbocharged engines. Likewise, Mercedes did as well. Uh, and they made like 450 horsepower from point one four liters because it was a turbocharged version a smaller turbocharged version of that engine that was intended for the long wheelbase car which would rally in stuff like east african safari or acropolis long wheelbase meaning the sedan Sedan. that we all know today yes correct um but then a little thing called an audi quattro came along yes and and they all looked at it and they were like ah fuck it (laughs) well so remember that this was the day racing debut was supposed to be was scheduled for 19 85 which was uh no they were gonna because it was group b and group b rules were coming out in 82 they were actually gonna try and run the car that early yeah okay yeah and they were like because the car debuted in december of 82 to the public and they were like can we run this thing during the 82 season even though the car hasn't been debuted yet and they were like yeah i think so so they wanted to be there at the beginning of group b interesting i thought it was exactly 30 years from their motorsport ban Mm -hmm. so remember that in 1955 mercedes had that horrible accident yeah Um, pierre levey at le mans in a 300 slr uh he swerved to avoid an austin healy uh, and lost control and flew into the crowd and the car exploded and 80-something people died. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they did not actively officially race for a long time. And that's why when the 6.3 came out, the, the car was unofficially raced by some people who worked at Mercedes in Macau. Uh, which was far away, such that the mothership couldn't be like, you're not allowed to do this, blah, blah, blah. And so they, the car made its competition debut at, in Macau, of all places. And then the Red Pig was never an official Mercedes entry. It was an AMG entry, 
which yeah. was a separate aftermarket there was a, company. A, a full ban, if a yeah. boat, a ban on uh, on company sanctioned racing. But they did do factory supported rallying in the eighties with mm-hmm. the five hundred late seventies with the five hundred SLC and the two eighty E did a little bit, bit of rallying. Was it fully factory supported or the factory? Uh, would no, just it was always a little bit backdoor, yeah, which exactly. was the way that the the one ninety also was right. raced initially until. Mercedes was like, okay, 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 well, we're fine. We're going to do, we're yes, yes, sorry. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> so anyway, they come, they decide to, you know, as part of the development of this car, they're going to suspend the ban on, on motorsport. However, Audi comes out with this Quattro. The engineers realize there is no chance to beat it. Um, and so the the board kills off the uh, race, the, the uh, rally project mm-hmm. in its entirety mm-hmm. and bans any further development of any part of that car, mm-hmm. period. However, however, hold on. We're going to go back to the regular 190. Yes, we right? do need to go back to so, the regular 190. Let's so discuss the, the rear suspension. So the 201 as a whole, though, brand new platform from the ground up, brand new car with a new family of engines and everything else. Mm-hmm. Right? This was a rethink of the automobile done by Mercedes-Benz. Mm-hmm. Um, the development budget was untold, astronomical. I've seen 600 million pounds sterling. Including tooling and manufacturing. 600 million pounds sterling of, in 1980-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't even know what the hell that, that is today. Eight, ten billion dollars probably. Deutschmarks, I would say. Deutschmarks? Well, the, the rear suspension was four, wasn't it? I don't know. So, I didn't. Okay. The rear suspension was four billion, billion Deutschmarks. Deutschmarks. Yeah. So, Mercedes was working on a new rear, the world's first ever computer designed multi link rear suspension. Yes. Um, and they developed it originally for the 126 S class, but it wasn't done in time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it wound up making its debut on the 190. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, uh, they went through, oh, they built like 40 prototypes or something. Yeah. They had a rig, and this rig was designed to have the suspension swapped on and off easily. And so, I think they came up with like 80 something designs, and then there was like 27 of them that were actually physically tested using the rig because they would just dismount whatever suspension design and remount another one but they you know looked at like a ddon and you know of course a swing axle because it's mercedes and they always use swing axles uh, but they ultimately came up with this thing, which is like double wishbones, but better uh, because there's a fifth link, you know, double wishbone. You imagine, you know, the upper and lower ones and that's four links. And then you add a fifth link to do camber compensation. Uh, and so that's effective. And each one was independent so that their motion could occur somewhat independently of the other design. links. So it's a five link design uh, with camber control. And it's interesting because normally mercedes-benz and most manufacturers debut their most sexy technology in their biggest most expensive car and instead when mercedes is making their first ever small car it's full of i think aerodynamically and stylistically it's very innovative and obviously technically too because of the new family the m102 engine which then ended up in the 123 and the one everything else mm-hmm. uh the 124 and the uh i guess that's it those three cars um, and the suvs yeah. so I new mean, engines they, new suspension design front new rear new design language New aesthetic design language also. Uh, And everyone, when you read the contemporary road tests, say this is through and through a Mercedes-Benz. You know, it has much of the same great characteristics that make an S-Class an S-Class. It has this inherent greatness that makes it unequivocally a Mercedes-Benz. Although the consumer the consumer market didn't really feel that way, so it was very interesting to see the original reaction. uh, If you read German period road tests um, and just overall 
carve content from early 82, 83, 84. It was slow. Uh, people didn't like that. It was uh, depending plasticky. on the engine. Right. Well, this is the European uh, result. There, there yeah, were no, but with 120 you know, PS or whatever. It was they were, this was I, reasonable. Listen, don't fucking, don't yell at me. I'm the messenger. But the reaction was the car was plasticky and it was cheap and it was not befitting of a Mercedes initially. The U.S. Uh, rea- response was very different. different. Yeah. There, was a, uh, there were reliability concerns. There were just a, so, a bunch of teething problems. But by the time the car made it to the U.S. a year later, um, the reaction was, holy shit. Like you can have a big, uh, a, a big car personality in a little. Yeah, I think pe- the only thing people didn't like was the performance. I thought they found the engine was a little bit unrefined and it wasn't quite zippy enough. Because it was a four cylinder. Yeah, right? uh, it was incredibly short stroke four cylinder, but it was a two point three liter in the US, which is huge yeah. for a four cylinder without balance shafts. Mm-hmm. Um, Mercedes compensated for that by using a very big bore, very small stroke, and a heavy flywheel, uh, and a very heavy flywheel plus fully counter fully uh, counterweighted crank, mm-hmm. and so not. Not a zippy engine to rev. Didn't want to... Bum, 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 bum. Wasn't yes. like that. Yeah. Um, but it was refined. The... Um, the... What the hell were we, were we talking about? To, oh, other, other 190. So that five-link rear suspension had the best camber control of any suspension ever made. Um, and other than the fact that it had recirculating ball steering, which was another Mercedes sort of legacy thing. Um, yeah. It was, uh, supposedly it was done for crash and for parts commonality. They had actually even toyed with doing a front-wheel drive car, and they I think they they should can that as late as '79. Actually, that concept, mm-hmm. uh, but they said it the car was too big for front-wheel drive, which I think is hilarious mm-hmm. because if you look at GM at this time, they have the full-size Cadillac convertibles, which are front-wheel drive, like but 220 it's, inches long. Yeah, yeah, it just shows you the difference in what Mercedes is how they're thinking about engineering cars, and they also wanted it to share parts with other models potentially. And the 124 did draw a lot. Uh, the 124 E class did draw a lot out of the from the 201. It was technically an enlarged 201. Yes, Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it was uh, automobile or road and track described the 190 E as a not so much a new car as a seven eighths perfect replica of an S class. Hmm. Is the, the phrase that they put in their original road test, and it should have been the development budget was such that the rear. I did this research years ago. The rear suspension development budget alone was bigger than the development budget for the E30 as a the whole. The whole car, right? Yeah, and so I, I own an E30, two E30s. I've owned many 201s. Um, I, you know, there's such a rivalry between those two cars, and people are constantly, "Oh, this is better. This is better. This is." Let me t- let me tell you. <laughs> touch the cars work on them for five minutes there is no comparison in terms of quality and engineering Engineering. there's no for its structure and how every the how well every bolt is placed and how well everything is thought out the best example i can give is you get into 201 okay this is a car that is smaller than a fiesta Right? Yes. There is no sedan on sale in America today that's as small as this thing. It looks big. It feels like it's big when you're driving it, but unless tiny. you're in the back, yeah. <laughs> but they're tiny. When you and and they're light, right? Twenty eight hundred pounds for for a tiny little mm, sedan. That's not that light given the car's size. I mean, given how well enough. made it is. Okay, fair enough. But I'm talking twenty eight hundred pounds for a two point three sixteen with a sunroof and diff and big brakes and all the rest of the stuff. They were lighter than that. My point though is you you move the seat back. You pull up one of the Mercedes floor, like a floor mat, mm-hmm. and then there's carpeting underneath. Mm-hmm. I think I've talked about this on the on this podcast before, but the carpeting is buttoned down, like with little snap buttons. Mm-hmm. So you pull the snaps off, and then you can pull the carpeting out, and then there's a false floor mm-hmm. under that, which is Swiss cheesed plastic. 
Um, and underneath that false floor are all the conduits and cables and brake lines and everything is run in that in channels in there. Mm -hmm. And then if you pull that out underneath all of that is a tar lined steel. Mm -hmm. You compare that to an E30 where you rip up the carpet and there's the fucking steel. Floor pan, like yeah. there's just every part of this car. It has two firewalls. Yes. Right? I mean, everything is yes, about refinement. To, to refinement, put refinement. Yeah, mechanical things in and put more distance between the engine and yeah. the occupants. Right. And also to isolate the battery from the heat yes. of the engine compartment. So yes. the batteries in between and the, the brake booster and brake booster genius shit. I mean, just really cost no object engineering. Mm -hmm. And so these cars were 50% or more, more expensive than three series. Yes. And out. there was some American magazine that did a comparison against a Honda Accord, which was $13,000 and similar levels of performance. And basically their verdict was cost no object. Everybody chose the Mercedes price taken into account. Everybody chose the Honda because right. the car was, you know, $24,000 instead of $13,000. Right. It cost twice as much as an Accord and didn't offer more space or performance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What it offered really was, little. you know, engineering. But the interesting thing about the driving experience and living with one is going back to the board's mandates, which are that the car has to feel like an S-Class. I think the mandate was, again, this is like 10 years ago, uh, the driving position, or it had to be indistinguishable from an S-Class from the driver's seat. And so you imagine how an engineer is going to interpret that mandate that's written in writing. So the first thing you notice is a car the size of a Fiesta, if you move the driver's seat all the way back, I am 5'10 and a half. I cannot even come close to reaching the pedals of the steering yeah. wheel. Yeah. I mean, the steering wheel is over there. It's made for six foot eight S-Class drivers, right? <laughs> you can really fit huge people in this yes. tiny little car. However, one concession it doesn't have a foot-operated handbrake or, or parking brake mm -hmm. uh, because that would the, the footwells were too narrow. So it has a regular pull-up emergency brake, unlike every other Mercedes yeah. ever, because they were like, oh, we need this space in the footwell, so we're going to put the parking brake on the center console. Yeah. But otherwise, it's indistinguishable from an S-Class. You have the big steering wheel mm -hmm. um, directly gauges in front of you. And the the gauges and the controls are Everything all, looks yeah. like a Mercedes. And then it drives like it weighs 4,500 4, pounds. They are just, they, you know, Mercedes. I, yeah, in terms of ride quality yeah, and yeah. isolation yeah. and refinement. We have suspension travel and we're not afraid to use it. That was the yeah. Mercedes way. Yes. So you have big body roll, but it's really well controlled. Mm -hmm. um, but the, in terms of handling, like just no contest to anything else from the era. I mean, yeah. that's what happens when you have good suspension. Yeah. Um, no understeer. Yeah, they also did this thing where instead of this the McPherson strut design where the, the shock absorber is inside of the spring concentrically, they have moved them to different locations and then the damper mounts very close to the wheel so that a you have more engine room space which was helpful because they tilted the engines on their side by 15 degrees to keep the hood line low for aerodynamic reasons so they used the space for that uh, and also you put the damper close to the wheel and it gives you more um i think damping ability and authority over with a smaller damper right. uh, because it is operating ratio. on a longer <clears throat> arm or closer to the farther from Clo the fulcrum right closer to one to one to then you did two yes. to one or three to one uh and then the way they designed that front suspension it's got the turning radius the size of a smart forklift car. yeah i mean it's ridiculous yeah yeah every other car i've ever owned feels like the 202 is the like 202 the, same the 202 has a yeah, wonderfully just, small turning radius but you know any you get into like a volkswagen or even an e30 which is a pretty tight turning radius no contest yeah, yeah. um it's just a beautifully engineered car that really doesn't 
give up anything to any other Mercedes. And to think that Mercedes was making sort of the best engineered, highest quality cars in the world at the time, and that you could get that in a car that size. And so now these things are basically free. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the people who are into them are like, appreciate all that. But the rest of, of the population are just like, I don't know, it's small and cheap and $3,500 or $2,500 or $1,500 on you know, Facebook. I mean, there's a lot of things about that car that people look at and don't understand the engineering behind it. So the, the mm-hmm. wiper was one of those things we talked mm-hmm. about. Then the other ones, the taillights, the ribs on the taillights were done uh, by the engineers together with Mr. Sacco, of course, as a design element, but the idea of having ribbed taillights. I mean, we was, should credit Ms. the Herr Geiger also because that had come out in the early 70s, probably 73 is when that appeared on the, uh, well, on the 107 and the 115. The idea there is just increasing the amount of surface area of the taillight so that when they're dirty, i.e. snowy or muddy, that they still transmit more light. Um, And supposedly they were designed to self-clear, but I don't know that that actually works. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I've never, driving in that that 190 E 2.0 through many, many winters, I don't think I ever had to clear the taillights off. Mm. I mean, um, whatever. The the cars just worked. They were researched to death and engineering led. And they're not the type of car that you look at and say, well, that's beautiful until you look at it. Yeah. And you stick the, I mean, yeah, the deeper you get into one of these cars, the better it becomes as a a device. I mean, they are just so simple. Like I, I feel like all the best, many of the best automotive designs of all times are done by Italians working for German car companies. Um, You know, all the Jajaro stuff, all of the Sacco stuff, but Sacco's, stuff was so incredibly simple that it's easy to overlook the brilliance of it. That car is teardrop shaped. So if you look at a 190 from above. Oh, from above. From above. From above, but from the side it's wedged. the whole back tapers in. And then from from the, the... side it's wedge well that was done for aero yes so at the time well, and, I, and also to make the trunk larger because it's taller right. in a short car but it was i mean it was one of the most aerodynamically efficient cars ever made yeah it was 0.33 when it with. came out mm-hmm. and then uh they did this publicity stunt we haven't really started talking in earnest about the 2.316 but they did some modifications to those cars because they did this endurance test thing with them and they got the cars to like 0.28 or something like that by uh blocking off the the front grill and and removing the mirrors removing the mirrors and they lowered the ride height and then they got the car down to 0.28 And so this is the Nardo test. This was in 1982, yes. late 82? Uh, no, they, this would be summer. It was hot. It was 100 degrees Fahrenheit. So right. this would be August of 83. Three, because the car made its official debut. Okay. Because so the, the car debuted officially a month later at Frankfurt, Frankfurt in September. Okay, so now we're back to the performance variant that had to win the World Rally Championship, but then was banned from further development. Yes. So they continued to develop Shh. the... Uh, I couldn't uh, tell anyone. Yeah. Yes, quietly mm-hmm. continued to develop this engine because they were like, we're onto something here. And also, if we want to stick it to BMW, uh, then we should come up with a more youthful, ap- appealing performance variant of the car. So this is how they sold it internally. So yes. how the product team sold it to the board was that we are looking for a younger buyer with this car and other people are modifying their cars in this segment. So look at BMW, you have Hartke, you have all these other companies that were modifying E21s. And they thought, well, we should come out with a pre-pimped, to use the Mark V Volkswagen ad campaign, pre-pimped version of our car that will already appeal to young people. And we'll call it the 190 Sport. Yes. That was a complete line of bullshit. 
It was yes. never meant to appeal to younger people. Yeah, not at thirty-five thousand dollars when you in nineteen eighty-six. Yes, when you could buy an E thirty M three for twenty-seven two years later. Cheap. Uh, I thought they 30? were. I thought those things were were too expensive to be popular. They were, but at three twenty-five, I was twenty-seven. Yes. fully loaded. Yes, um, yes, for yeah. three twenty-five. Yes, but so they they sold this bullshit story to the to the management. Yes, we make the Sport one ninety. It's for sell to young people, but they continued to develop it for motorsport. Mm-hmm. But what they did was take the naturally aspirated engine from the short wheelbase hatchback and put it in the regular wheelbase sedan, mm-hmm. um, i.e., the long wheelbase car, and just developed it as a sports sedan, basically. Mm-hmm officially unofficially 100% developed this thing for racing absolutely 100% and how we know that's the case is there's a great picture that I can't find but I have somewhere of the 5000th 2.316 rolling off the line in April of 85 I think it was Um, and there's so it's 5000 and you see all of these engineers who are smiling and a bunch of management people who look very like confused mm-hmm. and you think why the we are going to make one 2.1 million of these cars like they did sell a shit out of this thing mm-hmm. why do we care about five thousand? because well. that is the number of production cars you must make in order to homologate the car for group n and group a which is exactly what happened the next day i have the yes. fia homologation papers may may it's 1st 1985 yep. um yep. it's all listed right there so they immediately homologated the thing for racing and said okay, we, you know, you guys could take it to like rallying and shit, or you could take it to DTM, which was the new mm-hmm. the touring new, car Yeah, new for 86 was this t- German touring car championship. Uh, and so they ran the cars with moderate success, actually. Not they, other people. Other people, not other Mercedes. People. Yes, other the, people. Other people that had- Privateers. Like, like AMG and other, other companies yes. that had absolutely- <clears throat> no Nothing, support no, at all no, no, no. from Mercedes-Benz. No. So of what course. they were doing is throwing parts And there were the certainly door. like not any Mercedes-Benz engineers ever spotted mm-hmm. in paddocks mm-hmm. at racing mm-hmm. events. Of course not. There is a verbot. There yes. is a ban on the motorsports precipitation. precipitation. Yes. <laughs> Whatever. It's raining. It's <laughs> precipitating. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the car was homologated for the, for, from the 1st of May, 1985. They, DTM's first season was 86. The cars were like moderately successful, but uh, they didn't actually ever win a DTM championship until 92 with Klaus Ludwig. They, they got second first, a couple I thought of times. They, yeah, they won they were individual races, events, yeah. certainly. Uh, and so, yeah, let's return for a moment to this endurance test at Nardo yes. that happened in August of So there's this 2316 that's called the 190 Sport and definitely doesn't have any racing intention. Yes, but so we could set some records with it instead. We could set some world records, yeah. And yes. I think part of this, all of, well, all of this was probably a push from Mercedes marketing to say, you know, people are going to push back on the idea of a small, quote-unquote affordable, it was $70,000 in today's money for a base 190, basically, Um uh, you know, a Mercedes that's not a real Mercedes. So let's figure out ways to prove that the engineering is is up to Mercedes standards. Mm-hmm. And one of them was to do a top speed run at Nardo. Yes. Yeah, so they ran the car. There were three of them. They modified them. You know, they took the cooling fans off of them. I think they might have removed the power steering. They took the side mirrors off. They lowered the ride heights. You know, all within relatively FIA. straightforward stuff. They changed the rear axle ratios. They also t- it has larger fuel different, tanks, different fuel injection. I mean, there was yes. there were a bunch of well, they removed like cold start enrichment right. and stuff like that because you don't need you that don't if you're it. running the cars for eight days straight. And nights, mm-hmm. so they ran the cars for eight days continuously, day How and many night. Two hundred and one. Ah, you yes. see where this came from, yeah. Uh, three cars, uh, and they set speed records. I thought only two finished. I thought one broke with oh, like really? distributor failure or something. 
I was not if aware I remember, of this. But the, the cars had spares in them. And you remember that was part of the FIA thing is they had to have any car, any parts that broke on the car had to come from within the car. Mm -hmm. So they like the trunks were filled with spare shit, whatever. Yeah. So they ran them 50,000 kilometers and they set records for 25,000 kilometers, 25,000 miles and 50,000 kilometers at, at average speeds. 54 that, miles an hour. Yes. And the, the longer the distance, the higher the average speed was. So their record speed for 50K was higher than their record speed, than the average mm -hmm. speed for 25K because the longer they ran the cars, the higher the average speed went. Right. And uh, uh, it was, all they did was, I think they changed oil like three or four times mm -hmm. and they, by the way, the Tires. 154 miles an hour is the average speed over 201 hours, including, including zero. Uh, yeah. While fueling and doing driver changes. Yep. And ripping off who like, you know, they probably had or cleaning off the windshield. You have these great yes. shots. Everyone's in like 80s short shorts. Yeah, but like 154 miles an hour. In average. 100 degrees Fahrenheit mm -hmm. also. In 1980 something when like yeah. nothing could go that fast yeah and here's this four-cylinder mercedes which yeah. is crazy it was faster than any v8 mercedes the fastest mercedes produced at the time uh, on top speed the 500s were not as quick not as fast done. not as fast uh i think it was also the quickest accelerating if mm -hmm. I remember they were like seven seconds seven and seven point four uh, well and by europe standards the u.s cars uh, the euro cars by u.s one foot rollout to 60 miles an hour or whatever would uh, will be sixes Six four, six five. Mm -hmm. um, they were they were quick, um, but so they did this attempt, and then and a month later they debuted the car publicly. So this had this record yeah. had already been set, mm -hmm. and they had all the press photos. Of, I mean, the cars are filthy. Uh, when the car debuted in September of eighty three at Frankfurt, together with the diesel version at the same time. <laughs> so and, here you go, yeah, diesel or. 150 mile an hour version yeah Your and the i think they sold out the first year production at the on the show floor which was inconvenient because cosworth was not able to deliver enough cylinder heads uh to really get the cars into customer hands for almost a year yeah a while so the, and then that's why the homologation didn't occur until 85 right so the, but then you have the other stunt which i love which is okay mercedes the there's the the nurburgring that we all know is the nordschleife the north loop and then yes. there's the new grand prix circuit that's made because of all the horrible accidents that happen at the the nordschleife yeah so that they can run formula one in a safe contemporary modern fashion at the nurburgring at this new nurburgring gp circuit Correct. and the opening event ever the opening race at mm -hmm. the nurburgring mercedes you know they they got out bags of money and they gave the mm -hmm. Nürburgring and the FIA people millions. And the track owners. Track yes, owners yeah, and yeah. said, hey, d which is probably the state of, it's probably a government, owned, whatever, who the fuck, whatever it was, they're like, listen, we have this new little thing that's definitely not a race car and certainly not a homologation car. And of course, we'll never wind up in a racetrack. But wouldn't it be funny if right before the race, the we, F1 race. The Formula One race that's about to happen, the first ever race at the Nürburgring Grand Prix circuit. We get a bunch of Formula One legends and let them battle it out in 20 identical non-race car versions of a non-race car of a 190 eSport just, you know, to show that maybe um, this car the could cars. appeal to younger people. Yes. And well, and this was taking a page out of the uh, the Pro Car series, mm -hmm. which had been discontinued a few, I don't know, two or three years earlier from BMW M1s, where they put all these 
you know, famous drivers in these cars and ran them around. So, you know, the, the roster of people driving these cars is just absolutely nuts. You have Sterling Moss, Phil Hill, uh, Kiki Rosberg, uh, Ayrton Senna was there, Nikki Lauda, uh, who else? Denny Hulme. I forget what's his it's name. Just, uh, James um, James uh, Hunt. Hunt. James didn't, Hunt. Was I think also didn't show up because he was hungover, and probably. they gave his seat to somebody else. Or it might have been, and somebody got sick, and Senna wound up as a replacement for the for somebody who didn't show up. No one had heard of Aaron Senna at yeah. this point, and the real race wound up. But they fucking went for it. That's yes. the best part. Is yes. watching and this it's race also back. raining, of course. Yeah, of course. So you see the crazy wipers that like no one's ever seen before, and everyone's going and sideways because it's moist, and the car doesn't have a shear. Yeah. So they these guys are fucking moving, and the race wound up being. Be- Senna passes everybody mm-hmm. um, and he's an upstart. No one knows who he is mm-hmm. and he pisses all the other guys off. So you have half the guys who are like beating the shit out of these cars and don't care. And the other half who are taking it seriously. And then you have Lauda and Senna, Senna who are fucking going for it. Mm-hmm. And Senna won. Yep. And this was why he wound up getting recognized by, uh, was it, who hired Ferrari? hired him after this, right? It Was it, there's a fucking quote from somebody who was like, get him hmm. after this anyway uh really did a, a number to jumpstart his uh fame awareness of him as being um, zippier than nikki yeah. lauda yeah and nikki um, lauda of course is always trying when he's on a racetrack yeah. yep he doesn't not try pretty cool unlike james hunt so the the cars were uh praised pretty significantly for being a best among the best handling cars ever made best mm-hmm. you know sh- sedan chassis ever mm-hmm. um uh, but they didn't sell worth a shit in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, the value proposition is at $35,000, I think, is similar to the way that Americans approached the E30 M3. I thought they were 38. I think, that, I think well, so the things that I've read when they first announced the car okay. in, you know, 85 in the U.S. In the U.S., Calendar yeah. year, 85. So, yeah, so the car year. went on sale, was for sale in the U.S. as an 86 and an 87 model. Mm-hmm. Uh, conveniently, the 86s all have recessed sealed beam headlights and the 87s have semi-refreshed or, uh, refreshed 9004 headlights, so you can tell them apart. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, they're functionally the same. Um, and I think Mercedes-Benz North America did not understand what this car was. Of course, no mm-hmm. one knew what rallying was. No one still does uh, in the general public. So they said, well, if this is going to be the top-of-the-line car, it needs to be spec'd as such. And so they came with with every conceivable option standard. Mercedes has always done this with U.S. cars. Everybody always does this with U.S. cars because everybody wants, they think American yeah. consumers want high levels of equipment. But at this price, you know, you're, so you have power seats with memory, power windows, power window, airbag, uh, airbag, one of them. Airbag. Um, all 86 model year Mercedes-Benz were sold with airbags. Mm-hmm. Um, driver's side. Uh, driver's side. And they, so they spec the shit out of it. Leather seats, front and rear. Mm-hmm. Um, the only options you could get were heated seats, rear headrests, and I think that was it. I God, I thought there Radio? was one more. No, it was, camp stand. it was a camp stand with everything. But 38000 bucks was the same price as a really well-equipped 5 Series. I yes, mean, really I remember reading um, just recently the, in this research, the, the car was actually, I think the 2.6 was $1,000 less than a 300E. Yeah, that would make sense. So, you, which was probably so everyone was like, you should buy a three hundred E instead, probably, or maybe yeah. it was the two point well, three sixteen had a problem when the, so it was one of them was within a thousand dollars of of the E class of the three hundred E, and so they were like, yeah, for most people, I think the three hundred E is going to be the right it's answer. That's and what the and you could get it with a stick. 
Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't a dog leg, which of course we think is cool, but you know, freaks some people out. Yeah. Um, the available oh, automatic transmission is the other option oh, you were missing from the list. <laughs> I've never driven an automatic 2.316 and I hope to never. Hmm. Um, but the, um, it was a really hard sell. So they sold what? 1,839 in the U S this is your car. Am I thinking? Yeah. They mail, they made 40,000 of 40 or was yes. it 20? So there are, it's 20,000. So if I remember 20, correctly, 2.3s. it's 20,000 2.316s and 18,970, like whatever it was, M3s, right? So the 2.316 worldwide outsold the E30 M3. However, and that's by the way, 2.316, 2.516 and the Evo 1 and Evo 2. And then all of the variants of E30 M3 also, including convertible Evo 1, Evo 2 and Sport Evo. Um, so overall the- I thought it was 20,000 only 2.3s and then like 10 or 15,000 2.5s and then a thousand oh. Evos. I don't know. They, I, so Somebody I, will fact check us. Yeah, I know. We Either should, I should have Jake these, will these probably numbers, put, he'll put numbers a thing on the bottom. At hand. It'll point to idiot and has it right or something. See, you guys probably already seen this. But point is, in worldwide, the 16-valve Mercedes outsold the 16-valve E30s. Mm-hmm. Um, however, in the US, it was, I think it was 5,001 E30 M3s and 1,839 or 1,936 or something. Under 2,000, mm-hmm. um, 190 16-valves. And the reason why was number one, BMW kept those cars on sale for a long time. Um, yes. But uh, no one understood what this Mercedes was. No one. Got the it. other thing is that those cars tend to be presented as competitors. And in some places they were, but in the United States, you couldn't really, you barely could buy those two cars at the same time because the Mercedes came first. And then yeah. the E30 didn't appear until 87. Calendar year eighty seven, yeah. uh, and so they were never directly competing with each other in the U.S. market. Although in Europe they didn't, then they were because they, they produced these cars until ninety three yeah. uh, in Europe. But we never, we only got them for a couple of years in the U.S. Probably yeah, because they sold so poorly. So poorly yeah, and the, and the problem was also that at the same time. Mercedes was obviously listening to the feedback from the U.S. market on the 190E 2.3, which is the regular car, um, and re-engineered the front of that car for the 2.6 liter Mm -hmm. six-cylinder. And that that came out on an 87? Somewhere in there. So at the same time, for far less money, you could get a six-cylinder. Sounds kind of like the E30 M3 slash 325i dilemma, um, where you can get a manual six-cylinder. And the 190 2.6 is a magical car to drive, especially when you swap in a three-liter because it mm-hmm. from the 300 e because it's the same external Or, I mean, dimensions. at that point, you may as well do a 24-valve swap. I mean, that's a different thing. You can literally swap in the three-liter block and not tell the fuel injection or anything else. Yeah. And you have a yeah. three-liter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, the, the 190 was a bit of a hard sell as a, as a 16 valve in the US. But I think the rest of the world got it because they were watching DTM. Mm-hmm. And DTM was more widely watched and more widely attended than Formula One was. Yeah, they had a huge schedule of events. I mean, it would be like t- more than, tw- I don't know, 24 events or something like that. Or I think, I or maybe it was even 30. Uh, but they had a lot of events and they're all geographically nearby because it's a German event, you know, it's and German the, based. And so you're all in continental Europe. You don't have to go all over the world yeah. if you want to watch the races. You just And the stands were packed yeah. and millions watched it on TV. I mean, yeah. this was... Well, the cars are all fairly competitive with each other in terms of pace. Uh, and mm-hmm. so the racing was just absolutely wild. Probably some of the best racing yeah. ever. 
Yeah, it's like spec Miata racing, right? You put a bunch of guys all in approximately the same car and it just gets real wild. But the crazy, unlike spec Miata, the budgets were nuts. So what happened is yep. 192.316 gets homologated in 1985. Um, and then in 1987, six, hold on. Yeah, it was production starts 84, 85, got it. I have a timeline that I remember writing for an article about this years ago. 80, early 85 Mercedes gets homologation. 86 BMW comes out with E30 M3. Now, don't forget that the E30 M3 has a bunch of advantages. Number one, fully fact, factory-backed racing from the get-go, number one. And number two, they knew exactly what target they had to beat with the Mercedes. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I talked to Joost, uh, uh, what the hell's his name? Um, he's currently in, uh, Joost Capito. Capito, and, uh, and oh, the other one that's in Del, Del for Dieselgate, um, uh, who did the S14 street version, Wolfgang Hatz. Uh, and I mm. talked to both of these guys who were part of the E30 M3 program back in the day. And I asked them both, like, well, hey, what were the targets? Like, did you have to, like, you know, get this by this? And they both said the same thing. Beat that fucking Mercedes. And that was the official target for E30 M3. So it had to be two tenths quicker to, six, uh, to 100 kilometers an hour. Um, they knew exactly where the targets were and they knew they couldn't re beat the top speed, but they had to match the top speed. So E30 got that crazy fake trunk lid to raise and the rear. Rear window. And rear window and the cap on the roof and all this other yeah. crazy shit just to get close to the 0.32 that the, um, uh, the Mercedes had. Never got close. I think it was 36 or 34 that they got. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so, you know, first mover advantage is not usually an advantage when you're racing because now everyone knows exactly what the target is. E30 M3 comes out in uh, in 86, gets homologated and starts, they, the two of them start racing and immediately BMW is working on in the Evo 1. Yes. So their Evo 1 was fucking immediate um, and they then the immediate 2 was shortly thereafter. Meanwhile... Now, Mercedes privateers are racing this car and they're yeah, doing and they're okay. Like trying to get the thing together and mm -hmm. developing it. And AMG's doing some stuff to it. But yeah, at some point, I think it was for the 87 season, Mercedes is like, okay, we're going to officially start racing. Well, you know why? Because they were getting crucified by BMW. Yes. So this is the great irony is the board said, you cannot race this car, period. Full ban on motorsports. Yes. And the engineers are throwing parts out the door, throwing parts out the door. And then Mercedes the is like, door. why aren't we not winning? And then the same board that says, you can't do this is like, ah, okay, there was a change in board. But if I remember correctly, but they were like, wait, hold on a second. We're getting our ass kicked over here. Not our ass kicked. It was, we're competitive, but not winning every race. Get and them. BMW is winning them. Yeah. And well, initially, the and I learned this recently, uh, that in the debut season of the car uh, in touring car, the car that the 190E 2.3 got second place to was a Rover SD1. That's fantastic. We which own is that absurd. Thing. So you have both of those oh cars. My God, I love it. You have both of the I touring am a car. Rally champion. <laughs> Uh, so yes, and then Ford uh, won a subsequent year, and then when the BMW arrived, then it was winning, and so Mercedes finally, with factory backing, starts to be genuinely competitive, comes out with the Evo versions. Well, first it was a 2.5, right? So the idea uh, was... Well, for racing, sorry. So yeah, the idea was they would, as a stopgap, uh, put a long stroke version of the 2.3 liter into the uh, into the street cars. Um, and that was the 190E 2.516, long stroke, Correct. high compression. But that car never raced. That car never that raced, never that engine raced. never raced. But that was to compete against the E30 M3 to take back the acceleration title basically mm -hmm. because the bmw had a catalytic converter and when they catalyzed the 2.3 liter they lost so much power that the e30 was significantly faster so they did for the street cars got 2516 and then the 
race car has got the Evo 1. Which were also 2.5 liters, but a different 2.5 liters. Different engine, yeah. Yes, it's a different um, 2.5 liters, but it, it this displacement is the same, but they did it by uh, boring same -ish. it. Yes, uh, not exactly the same. Yeah. But they're both 2.5 liter engines, but they're different engines right. because one is bored and the other is stroked. Exactly. And uh, so that two point... Which is also true of the Evo 2.5 versus the regular 2.5. And so people are like, why is the Evo 2.5 so much more expensive than the regular 2.5? It's because they have different engines. Different engines, yeah. Um, so the Evo rules, generally speaking, for homologation are thus, which is that if you want to homologate an Evo version of a car to go racing, you can do it, but you have to build 10% of the homologation number. And so you have to build 500 of whatever it is if you want to take some improved version of the car racing. And so that's what the Evo 1 and Evo 2 And why there are 502 of each. Yes, exactly. Or 501 or 502. Yeah, it depends who you um, ask. And meanwhile, so now Mercedes, okay, the board says fucking go get BMW and they start, they throw the, the Evo 1 out and then BMW is already on its Evo 2, E30 M3. And then finally they've had enough and this is going to be the end of it and they both go for broke. And their budgets on the DTM race program was far in excess of what Formula 1 was uh, spending was at the time. And so then there became the, the 190 Sport Evo, um, which, or the, I'm sorry, the 190 Evo 2, which yes. is the most outrageous fucking thing anyone's ever seen. Yes. But uh, the, the best part is Piech, called it hideous the the well and um, the reason why piech is interested in, in commenting is because uh for 1990 audi joins the dtm party uh with the v8 quattro mm -hmm. yep. which is spiritually very different from the other cars yeah. with four-wheel drive and a probably 3.6 liter v8 mm -hmm. Uh, and they won DTM in 90 and 91 with yeah. a S-class sized car, which I love that Audi was doing this at this time. With a V8 that racing. was two Scirocco 16 valve motors joined at the crank. So it was I mean, a an interesting yeah. solution. Yeah. And so Mercedes is like, God damn it. And so Audi won twice and BMW was winning before that. And Mercedes finally won in 92. Well, so the, 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 the great quote was that when everyone, when the Evo 2 debuted, sold out, immediately on the show stand all 500 of the cars um but the ps said it was hideous and then uh bmw's was it Geitzler? What, what head of head of r d what the hell was his name said that was that wing is totally stupid on the record think mm -hmm. about this mm -hmm. like think no executives would say this was that is totally stupid and then said to somebody else if that wing works the uh, air the laws of aerodynamics must be different between munich and stuttgart Yes. And if and it works, they will, I will build a new wind tunnel. <laughs> and he did. He built a new wind tunnel because the fucking wing worked. Yes. And the, it had come from a, they had hired an aerodynamicist in Stuttgart who was mm -hmm. at the university to say, how do we make the arrow of this thing appreciably better? Yeah. And that was the result. One of my favorite things, which is just a sort of contravening of the rules about that whole body kit is that part of it is this thing that covers the top third or so of the rear window. Mm -hmm. And the reason why they do, did you, have, did you come, come across this ever of the reason why they I thought, this? To, I thought it was to send air to no, the lower no. wing because there are two wings. No, this is a misconception. The rule stated that any wing that you added could not interfere with rear visibility. And so they made the <laughs> rear visibility worse so that the, the so, rear wing was not participating in rear visibility. Get the fuck out. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I, that's That was already like one of my number one cars of all time. And it just became like number 0 0.9. Yeah. Um, so, holy shit. I love that that was their solution, right? It, yeah. They are immediately 
reading the letter of the law, but not, not the, the spirit, spirit of the law. Um, and so finally, when once Mercedes got full backing and that Evo 2, they were revving to 12, 11 or 12,000 RPM. I think it was like 10.3 is what I recall. Uh, at the end? At yeah. the very end, they were way over 10. Uh, either way, they were making 10, ridiculously RPM. horsepower. 10,000 RPM. Yeah, 375 mm. horsepower um, out of two and a half liters, naturally aspirated. Yeah. And so once they had fa factory backing, they really were competitive to the, the M3 and did eventually win the season after BMW retired or the season where during yes. which it BMW was the season the during which uh, Ford retired because mm -hmm. there were no turbocharged cars allowed anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, and somebody else had stopped racing as it's well at the same point. It was Alpha or Audi. Yeah. It was one of those two. Um, so the ultimate I think it victor, was probably Audi because they probably banned turbocharging and four-wheel drive in DTM for the 92 season. Um, the ultimate victor was the E30 M3 of the two because it won more races. But yes. the second most winning touring car was the 2316 or the Mercedes 1612. Um, and there was no one even close. I mean, mm -hmm. different people won different titles, but in terms of number of races won, not even close. Well, they um, both raced for longer than Audi. Audi only raced for two seasons yeah. and won both. And then they were like, okay, we're done here. Yeah. <laughs> and went home. We have shit on you and we go home now. <laughs> yes. This is the PH way. <laughs> yes, um, exactly. But uh, yeah, so now to own, how long are we in this? Oh my God, we're over an hour. Okay, so we need to wrap this up. To uh, own them, what so do they like to own? Um, they are a pleasure. They handle well. They are the the engines are smooth. I have not yet driven the Evo cars, uh, but yeah, I, I soon will be driving. I think the Evo two, Lord Lord willing. Uh, I would say the Evo two is the best driving one in terms of drama overall. It is eight thousand RPM or seventy eight hundred RPM out of a two and a half liter. Um, uh, it basically feels like a 2316 with a quick steering ra uh, rack or box um, and really tight suspension. Not harsh, just very, very tight. Mm -hmm. The next one in, in the rung of superiority is the early non-catalyzed 2316, like, like our cars. <laughs> uh, no, because it's the fastest. The, only, the 2516 Evo 2 was the only one that was almost as quick as the early cars i don't think yeah this any is quicker. the car where they all came with the power pack it was called the amg power pack mm -hmm. which gives you 235 horsepower and that's like a larger intake manifold and uh, exhaust mm -hmm. and, and i don't think i think they were the the only one to match or so no one's i've never seen a race between an early the early homologation spec car with no cat and the the late 2516 evo 2 but the evo 2 was much heavier they were 3,000 pounds versus 2800 despite the use um, of carbon fiber yeah well adding carbon fiber is still adding material but the wheels were much bigger the brakes were much bigger yes um, because they wanted to be able to race with 19 inch wheels so they, they had, had air conditioning they have power uh, windows i mean they were just you know they were a, a very different spec catalytic converters which are heavier um but i was talking to a really cool guy that i met at uh at uh, monterey car week with a 2516 that was just like I just licked the car for an hour in the parking lot. Evo two um, or Evo one? two, yeah. um, and uh, he, I think it was him saying he had a, a 185 PS car, the early car, and it was faster than the than the uh, Evo. I drove an Evo two back to back with my car, and I couldn't tell you which one's quicker. It's another 800 revs, 700 revs, so it's it's more spicy. Mm -hmm. um, but I think I'd rather for the visual statement, obviously, for every reason, I'd rather have an Evo two. But they are. Two, three, four, four five hundred thousand dollars at this point, dollars, yeah. um, and the early cars are twenty, twenty-five, 
20, 30, 40,000. So it's quite a, it's an order of magnitude difference in price. Um, I genuine, mean, a nice, order of magnitude. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess the world, a really nice early car could be 60, 70, 80,000 bucks. Yeah. Um, but then at the absolute bottom, having never driven an automatic would be the, the US car. I don't, I love the chassis. I love the build quality. I do not love the engine um, nearly as much as the uh, Euro car. Especially with never the gearing. Driven, yeah. And I've never driven it too, because the gearing short, which I usually love, mm -hmm. but it doesn't work with the engine's torque characteristics and it doesn't work with the shifter. Um, and I've never driven a 2.5.16, but I suspect Or an that, Evo 1. Or an Evo 1. I um, suspect the Evo 1 and Evo 2 are fairly similar yeah. to each other. When you read the differences in them, I mean, they both have the big bore engine, as the big bore 2.5. So I suspect that if you want, and I think the Evo 1 looks pretty cool as well, uh, I don't know if I would I would want the liability of prices for parts on an Evo 1 without the visual impact of it. That's the thing. Then I'd rather have a... It costs half as much as an Evo 2, though. Yeah, but I'll give me an Amandine... What's that car? Uh, that Amandine Roth, yeah. Yeah, what's it called in English? Uh, Garnet. Garnet. Give me a Garnet Red 2516 street car, mm. and you have... I mean, that color is stunning. Yes. Um, and yeah, it's a color, I also uh, learned why they uh, did the early cars were only available in two colors it's because the body kit was in was the same color throughout uh, and so they said we can only make plastic in these two colors and have it sort of look good we hmm. can't have other colors of plastic they didn't just this is so mercedes-benz right they're not going to paint the body kit they're going to make the whole plastic all the way through the material be the same color as the car so that if you scrape it you can't see it uh and so it's not painted uh, I guess they paint over it, I assume, but okay, I think the plastic the, is also the, the plastic same color. Is similar. is yeah. the same color. Never and that was that. because they could only make that plastic in those two colors uh, initially. Oh my God. So very Mercedes. Later on, they, later on, they figured out how to do it in silver and Amandine Rota, or wow. they just were like, we're going to paint Fuck it. But it, anyway, they were. that's why they were so f only those two colors early on. Uh, um, anyway, so this has been the 190E uh, story. We should have waited until episode 190. Uh, Although isn't this 119? This could be 200. This is 120? I don't Shit. know. Or two episode 201 is what yeah. this should be. Well, 120 rearranged is 201, so this is episode 201. Okay. Okay. Uh, come back next week where we'll probably do an E30 M3 episode. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, we both kind of dislike that car. <laughs> yeah, we're done. We have nothing more to say about that. The, okay. We both own a 190 2.316. Neither of us has ever owned a 190, uh, an E30 M3. Yes, there you have it. Opinions are like assholes. Everyone has one. <laughs>